In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, wherever we have come together in your name, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the year 1969... A former NFL player named Marv Marinovich had a son named Todd. But this would not be an ordinary son. Marv, the father, had, during his unremarkable NFL career, often wondered how much better he could have been if he had started playing football at an earlier age than he actually had. So when he had a son... He decided to find out. So starting from birth, Marv put baby Todd through a series of stretching exercises. He would grab Todd's little foot. Remember, this is an infant lying in a crib. And he'd take the foot and gradually bring it back and forth to stretch the hamstring. Then he'd do the quads. Todd was given a specially tailored and limited diet. Remember, this is 1969. No processed foods. When Todd was teething, he was given frozen livers and kidneys to teethe on. He was kept out of walkers so that he could develop good hand-eye coordination. Marv got him to be ambidextrous so that he could throw with either hand. He took him out to the football field before he could walk and had him crawl hundreds of yards just to get accustomed to the field. One exercise that Todd did when he was a little bit older required him to stand on a balance beam in a dark room and bounce a ball while doing multiplication tables out loud. By the time Todd was 17 and a junior in high school, Marv had 13 different experts donating their time to the family in fields including speed, agility, strength, flexibility, quickness, body control, endurance, nutrition, and peripheral vision. He enlisted a throwing coach, an emotion coach, and even a psychologist. In a 1988 Sports Illustrated article that details this whole process, Marv said that what he wanted to do was, quote, continuously raise the level of his son's performance from birth. That Sports Illustrated article was called Robo Quarterback, colon, the making of the perfect athlete. Todd was 19 when the article came out and a senior in high school. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Well, at first. Todd Marinovich was a star quarterback in high school, a star quarterback in college, and a first-round draft pick into the NFL. But less than two years after being drafted, he was out of football, broke, and in prison. 
turned out that he started to do drugs in high school, and it finally caught up to him those years later. Do you want to know what Todd Marinovich said when he was asked years later about his drug use? He said that it gave him, quote, a buffer from a life that was too intense. (laughs) No kidding, right? Uh, Want to know what Todd Marinovich wanted to hear for his entire childhood? You want to know why he was willing to work so hard to do all that to forsake what any of us would have called a normal childhood? He wanted to hear, you are my son, the beloved, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I should say, in Marv's defense, that as Todd's life was falling apart later, Marv was there for him and supported him and loved him. And they have a good relationship to this day. Marv did not turn out to be a monster. But this remains an incredible example of an attempt to create, by force of will, a pleasing son. And when Jesus came to be baptized by John, it was probably a normal day. John baptizing hundreds of people in the River Jordan. They were lined up on the shore. John would welcome them into the river, pray for them, dunk them, and send them on their way. Next! (laughs) But then, this one guy comes along. We read from Mark this morning, but in Matthew's account... John sees something in Jesus, knows something, and he says to Jesus, what are you doing? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, and yet you come to be baptized by me. And Jesus, though, convinces John to do it. And then, as we read, as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the heavens are torn apart, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and a voice comes from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. How many of us long to hear these words from our own fathers. You are my daughter, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. It's that well pleased part that really appeals to us, isn't it? It's the part that made Todd Marinovich work so hard. He desperately wanted to please his father. We all have someone We want to please whether or not we have a father or a mother at home. Sometimes, of course, it is our parents. That's the most obvious one. Sometimes it's our boss. Sometimes even God. But for most people, I feel like it's sort of all of that and more. It's all of those things wrapped up together. We sort of want to appease the overarching idea of good enough. We sort of want the world to say, with you, I am well pleased. And so we work, and we work, and we work by whatever method we have chosen and try to be good enough to get to that point where someone anywhere might utter the words, you are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So why is this such a universal Desire. This is not a Christian thing. This is just a human thing. Everybody wants to hear those words. Why is this a longing that we all share? Well, I'm going to use two pretty different 
uh, illustrations or examples this morning to find out one is expected, the Bible. Uh, the other one, I'm going to sort of step into murky territory where I'm not that comfortable, so I ask your permission and forgiveness in advance. I'm going to talk about Sigmund Freud for a minute. So I'm going to talk about Genesis chapter 1, which we read, and I'm also going to try, attempt, to talk about Sigmund, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, Freud. But I'm an amateur, so please hear what are sure to be simplistic generalizations about Freud with some charity. So, here we go. I'm going to start with Freud. Start with the hard part first. Freud talked about humans as being basically made up of three parts. There's the ego, which is just sort of you. Then there's the id, which is the uncontrollable, primal, animal part of you. The part of you that just wants what it wants. and doesn't care about other people or right and wrong or anything else. That's the id. And finally, there's the superego, which is sort of like the ideal you. The you that sits in judgment over the ego. The you that judges you. And compares the you you are to the you that you ought to be. Compares the things you are doing to the things that you should be doing. Now, Freud envisioned a human person as basically spending all of our time fighting to repress the id and being made to feel guilty by the superego. Does that sound familiar to you? It's why we're still reading Freud all these years later. It's pretty insightful. Now, Freud was not a Christian, but he should have been. Because this system of ego, superego, and id works because it's a pretty good approximation of what's really going on in a person. A person created by an almighty and holy God. You are you, the creation of God. But since that God is holy and almighty, his standard is unattainable, the law the reflection of his character and the record of that standard does sit in judgment over us. It exists like the superego, constantly showing the difference between the you that you are and the you God calls you to be. And then, of course, there's the human propensity to sin, our fallen state, what St. Paul called the flesh. He talked about the desires of the flesh in a very similar way to Freud talking about the id. Now, here's the point. We all have this need for affirmation, this need to get better because we're trying to satisfy an almighty and holy God. And as Freud shows, we don't even have to believe in that almighty and holy God to feel the weight of his almightiness and holiness. He is there and real and true, whether people believe in him or not. This is what Paul meant when he said that God is not mocked in Galatians 6, verse 7. God is there and powerful and almighty, no matter what you might think about it. You can call it, as Freud did, the superego all you want. But that doesn't relieve the pressure that it puts on you. And we Christians just know its true source. Almighty God and his law written on our hearts. Thus, there is no better that's good enough. When your human father tells you that he is pleased, 
Don't you just set out to make him prouder, to make him tell you again, to get that affirmation more often, to stand on the balance beam in the dark room saying your multiplication tables for even longer and more accurately to get more affirmation. You are my son, the beloved with you. I am even more pleased. When you get a promotion at work, don't you just immediately set your eyes on the next promotion? As I've quoted to you probably a million and one times, when steel magnate Andrew Carnegie was asked how much money would be enough, he said, just a little bit more. It's always just a little bit more. Affirmation is a drug as addictive as anything that Todd Marinovich ever took, and the highs just get harder and harder to get. Because we're not satisfied with anything less than perfection. We don't want anyone to ever be able to say, oh, Nick, I know him. He's a great guy. But there's this one thing. We can't tolerate that. That's a killer. And so, like Marv Marinovich, we do everything we can. We hire all the experts, speed, agility, strength, flexibility, quickness, body control, endurance, nutrition, peripheral vision. We'll do anything. Or for us Christians, faithfulness, dependability, kindness, moral integrity, intelligence, passion, confidence, generosity. These are the things that we want, rightly. The things we fear we lack. Again, rightly. The things that we feel if we only had them in sufficient quantity, it would allow us to hear those beautiful and comforting words. You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Except there's a problem. We've seen one problem already, that there is no enough that's good enough. But there's another problem, and it's a problem found in the very first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Did you hear the problem in there? It's right at the beginning. In the beginning, when God created. Marv Marinovich could not create the perfect quarterback or the perfect son. And you cannot create the perfect you. You are not a creator. Only God creates. And God creates you. In fact, the attempt to create yourself is evidence of sin. It's the sin du jour in 2021. In fact, it's always been the sin du jour. We are all trying to be the creator, like Marv Marinovich, demanding that the world recognize and affirm our creation and implicitly, therefore, denying the truth of the very first biblical claim. There is a creator and he is not you. You are created by God, not by yourself. Now, if Freud's loop 
of ego, super ego, and id was all there was, if Christianity only included you, the rules, and sin, then all would be lost. All would be lost. We would be stuck in this cycle of knowing ourselves, knowing who we wish to be, trying to create ourselves, trying again to create ourselves, not being able to get there, recognizing our shortcomings, seeing where we need to be, trying to create ourselves, and never getting there, and that is death. St. Paul describes it exactly like that when he says, after describing the human condition in Romans 7, remember what he writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. After Paul describes this terrible cycle, he says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? He recognizes that this never-ending cycle of ego, superego, and id, or rules, human person, and sin, leads inexorably and inevitably to death. If that's all there was, all would be lost. But there is Jesus Christ. At Jesus' baptism, the very sky tore open. The Holy Spirit came down and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Do not miss what happens here. Jesus has pleased God. The law is kept. The superego is satisfied. And us, we get that pleasing. We get to wear his righteousness. We get to put on his affirmation like a warm blanket. That cycle is broken forever. Sin cannot control us. The law cannot judge us. All of our sinfulness and law-breaking was laid on Jesus' shoulders, and all his righteousness and law-keeping was given to us. St. Paul there in Romans 7, immediately after wondering who will rescue him from this body of death, announces joyfully, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are new creations. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created, and now he has created you anew. Each one of us, saved from sin and the judgment of the law by the one who did not sin and was therefore justly found to be righteous. In the eyes of the law. It is in his name. Jesus. The one who has pleased God. That we. That you. Are proclaimed righteous. Called pleasing. To God. 
Not because you or I or any of us have pleased God, but because Jesus has. We get his pleasing of God that is ours forever. And now, this is not the amazing part, but one of the amazing parts. Now, in light of that, that first biblical announcement that there is a creator and he is not you actually becomes good news. Once again, as we've seen through this Advent and Christmas season, the law has become the promise. You don't have to create yourself. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that good news? We don't have to create ourselves. We are created by God and then redeemed by his son and created anew. Similarly, the oppressive perfection of God's law written on your heart, God's calling on your life, turn the other cheek every time. Keep your thoughts totally pure. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of those things turn from laws into promises too. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the resurrecting work of Christ, you are promised a new life. A life characterized by Christ's righteousness given to you. You will turn the other cheek. You will see more purity in your thoughts. You will find yourself loving your neighbor. All because of the free gift of God's own goodness given to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now, the miracle of miracles. Because of that saving work, And Jesus' great and everlasting gift to us, his righteousness for our sin, the heavens open for you. And a voice comes down from heaven, proclaiming that you are God's child, his beloved. And with you, on account of Christ, Almighty God is well pleased. Amen.